Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. What a pleasure it is to welcome you live as we are broadcasting from Rome. I'm here at the hotel today. We're going to be on site at Marco Simone from Tuesday onward throughout the course of this week. And we have a crazy busy show planned for you today. So much to go through in and around the Ryder Cup, yes, but also in and around the world of sport. We're going to hear from a legend of the football ranks, perhaps the GOAT when it comes to quarterbacks coming up on the program but first a discussion of what took place the weekend that was the Solheim Cup wrapped up the United States and the European side both finish in a 14-14 draw now when that happens that means that the holder of the Solheim Cup will hang on to the Solheim Cup and that is in fact Europe you can see it in their faces as they will continue to hold this trophy as their own Now, I would tell you normally it would be for another two years, but that is not the case. We just are going, we're right in the middle of it right now of history because the Solheim Cup will be held back-to-back years in order to get it back onto even years. All of this was thrown asunder because of the COVID pandemic. So this week and last is a back-to-back Solheim Cup week to a Ryder Cup week. We may never see this again. Maybe you heard some of the comments from Stacey Lewis earlier in the week where she was criticizing the fact that you had this historic opportunity to promote the fact that you had the female side of Team USA, you had the male side of Team USA, you had the female side of the European team, you had the male side of the European team competing in the back-to-back weeks uh, representing their respective continents and countries. And there was no kind of tethering of the two together. And she thought it was a huge missed opportunity. Uh, I tend to agree with her on that. I think, I think it's uh, anytime that we have history within our grasp, many times I think we tend to recognize history when it's past us, when it's floated past us and we look back at it and go, Oh yeah, uh, that was really significant. And we missed it somehow. Uh, In this case, she was saying right when it was happening, you know, we kind of missed an opportunity here where we could have tethered these two things together because they are momentous and they are so important. Now, having said that, that does mean that the window for Team USA is only one year before they're going to have a chance to win in 2024. And I say that because for Team USA, Stacey Lewis looks upon what they accomplished. You're going to hear her talking about it in just a moment here as being an evolution, as being a step in the right direction because they're coming off having lost the two prior Solheim Cup competitions. And now they're going to have a chance in 2024 to gain back with a win. So they go from loss to loss to tie to maybe a win for Team USA on building blocks. Meanwhile, on the European side, they couldn't be more happier with everything that they have accomplished. The fact that they once again are going to retain the Solheim Cup, they jumped in a pool afterwards, they had so much fun. So there was a presser following. Team Europe with the entire team. Suzanne, their captain, of course, was asked. There she is in the pool at top of everybody. Asked how she feels. 
Carlotta Saganda, who finished as a hero with what she did at 17, stuffing it in there, what it means to make that putt to secure the have and to keep the Solheim Cup in her native Spain. You know, uh, uh, Dom and everybody else was talking about uh, Leona Saganda or, or uh, uh, that the fact that wh- what does she represent to you? To me, it's Sergio. I know I'm talking about the guy from Spain. Uh, she, she looks to me like she has adopted many of the same mannerisms as Sergio, what she does with the gloves, be sure she hits her pre-shot routine, the way she carries herself. Very cool. If that's her hero and you adopt some of the, the looks and feels and moves of your hero, well, now she is a hero for Spain too and for the entire European continent with what she has accomplished. Suzanne talked also about how she, proud she was of the team. Uh, Caroline talked about her great play. Lynn Grant talked about uh, the, the level of golf that both teams were playing. Think about rounds where players were six, seven, eight under par and – in some cases, on the low end of the range that I just gave you, they were trailing. Are you kidding? Marja Stark on how incredible the experience had been. And then, of course, Leona McGuire talking about going out and playing well. And, and Leona is one that I mentioned Dom a second ago. Uh, he was saying throughout that she's the new Ian Poulter for the European side uh, to do these parallels between the Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup because we are back-to-back and their history is intertwined. We're going to talk more about that history and how it uh, – twins itself together relative to a draw. Should a tie be a part of the Solheim Cup? How do you feel about that? But first, let's go to this. This is Team Europe after they retained the Solheim Cup. Does it get any better than this? I mean, this is a dream come true. Uh, We had a massive challenge ahead of us uh, today. We've created history yet again in the Solheim Cup, and uh, these girls are legends. I mean, obviously an amazing week for me being in Spain. Very, very special to play here in front of my home crowd, family, lots of friends. I mean, it's been very special to hear my name so much in all the halls. I just can't thank them enough. And I mean, I want to congratulate all the teams, not me, it's the whole team. There's a lot of people behind this. And I think this is a team effort, and I'm so proud of everyone here. And, yeah, I mean, Europe is always a team. We are united. We fight. And after that, Friday morning, we just went out there, and we knew we could do this. And I'm very proud of the whole team. So very happy. Well, it's been, it's been a lot of preparation leading up to this. Um, first of all, I think uh, we have an amazing team. Um, and I think, yeah, we got off to a rocky start, but I wonder if it was almost a nice wake-up call for all of us. We've all been on a pretty much high road uh, for a few years now, and maybe that was a good... I mean, I believe in faith. So I mean, maybe that was meant to happen. And I just said, I mean, you get knocked down, you stand back up, and you know what? Life is Life can be tough, but it's kind of how you stand back up and... That shows character, and I think it really shows the character of this team sitting here. Um, and I mean, I can sit here and talk about each and every one of them. Uh, but today, I also would like to give some extra credit to Carol Headwell that turned around the match. Um, I feel like she had the crucial point. <laughs> oh. 
she teed it nicely up, Lee. She teed it nicely up for Carlotta to just bring it home on 16 and 17. I can't really remember, to be honest. I, you know, I was just trying to give myself birdie opportunities and trying to force, like, just keep my match alive. And, and um, I just take go good golf shots and, and good putts and, and just happy to, to put my point on the board. That's why I picked her. Uh, I think the level of golf has been amazing from both teams, not only ours. I mean, the matches I played, it's been such a high level. Um, speaking about the match I had with Colotta the other day, the momentum was so high. And I think that um, just playing in this event, I think that's what happens in, during this week. Everyone steps up and, you know, play good when they have to. And I think that recalls for every one of us. Um, we just love moments like this. And that's when you have to show up and do your best. I've never had so much fun in my life, uh, and I'm so happy to um, be able to win this for Suzanne. I don't think there's anyone really in the world that I get that starstruck over, but I'm still starstruck, even after a week of hanging out. Yeah, I can't believe it. Um, and then I just felt like I hoped the whole way that the pressure would make me better, and I think it did. And uh, it's so it's such a nice feeling to actually hit those crucial shots at the end. Um, and yeah, I'm just so so happy, and I've had so much fun with the team, and um, it's probably the best experience of my life. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I wanted to go out early. It was nice to get blue on the board early, but when I finished, it was looking really good, and then it wasn't looking so good, and then back good again. So um, no, I. The girls were incredible this week. It was it was a fantastic team, and um, we couldn't have asked for a better captain. So it was, I think, very fitting that Carlotta was the star of the show this week and, and got to hold the winning pot. And the Irish fans were incredible this week. There was so many flags, so many cheers. Um, I know we were in Spain, but it, it felt like we were in Ireland at, at a certain point. So um, this is this is support, and this is a week I'll never forget. All right. So the European side clearly ecstatic with what they accomplished and what they accomplished is, is significant because when there is a tie, the team that holds the cup, be it Ryder Cup or in this case, the Solheim Cup, retains the same. And that is exactly what took place there. Now, in contrast, let's go to Team USA where Stacey Lewis has spoke about how proud she is of her team because it is a march uh, and they are marching towards, remember, they lost to two prior and in this case, they have uh, tied so next year, and I underscore once again the history of the fact that uh, getting everything back on track again and getting the Solheim Cup separated from the Ryder Cup, uh, and, and I don't think that's a negative. I just think they did it so they get, they get the attention that they deserve at that time of year. I don't have any issue with that whatsoever. But as a result, again, it set up this historic back-to-back -back Solheim Cup, Ryder Cup in 2023. And Stacy said, no, this is a progression. Where we're going uh, is good. And she's so proud of what her team did. Now, in this oppressor from Team USA on Sunday, Stacy Lewis, Megan Kang, Danielle Kang, and Lilia Vu were those that were assembled. And Stacy talked about, again, the pride that she has in his team. Danielle commented on the week that was. Lilia commented on the week and how well uh, everybody played. Stacy got together with her team on 17. She admitted later on, and you'll hear it in these comments, that she made her team cry, which was not what she was trying. 
to do, but she spoke about that and I thought it was pretty cool. And Megan and Danielle talked about how special the whole experience was and that was part of what the agenda was from the American side for them to have a great experience for them to have fun. Stacy talked about whether they should end in a tie or not. The question that I asked you guys about earlier. Let's hear what the captain of Team USA thinks. And she also spoke about the process in 24. Will she be devoted as she was to the statistics and understanding the numbers? And is this not an end, but just a beginning? Here they are. Yeah, I mean, they these girls played their hard outs today. Um, it wasn't really looking good there for a lot of the front nine. And um, I just kept telling them to be patient we played the back nine better all week, and that's what they did. They just kept fighting and kept fighting, and um, they literally did everything I, I, I could have asked of them this week. And I'm just – I'm so proud to be their captain. Um, it was so fun to watch them play, to learn a, bit, a little bit more about them, learn about their personalities. Um, it's just been such a fun week from my side. <laughs> I have – and, you know, as many as would you stop it? In many words as possible, I was so honored to be on this team, to experience what I experienced this week. I mean, people kept asking me about my shoes, on why I wrote everyone's name on there, and no, it didn't come like that. But there was not a single person, caddies, players, staff, captain, assistant captains, that I didn't want to represent. Or it's just I wanted to represent them the best that I can, and it was I was playing something bigger than I. And I play the best I have all year. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm sad that I wasn't able to get a point for our team the first three matches that I played in, but I was really happy to kind of drive off of DK's energy yesterday. I mean, our match against Carlota and Lynn, we were seven under through nine, and they were eight under through nine. So it was insane, and I think I just ran off of the energy we had yesterday afternoon into today. All right. Yeah. Eight under through ten. My bad. Yeah, you know... I made them all cry, which that was not my intent. Um, I just, I told them how proud I was of them. Um, and just the fact that, I mean, I don't want to sound like a sore loser, but it was, it was a tie. And I think that's a lot, a lot for this team to build off of, especially coming over here, coming into this environment with five rookies, a very young and inexperienced team. I mean, this week was really, really good for them. And, um, you know, just wanted to tell them how proud I was of them. And um, that, fortunately, we only have to wait another year to go get this thing back. Uh, I mean, honestly, you know, I think each and every one of us contributed to this team room. It's been an unbelievable, you know, experience this week. I will say, this being my third Solheim, this is probably one of, even though, obviously, unfortunately, we lost. But it's just still one it, of the it's best favorite one. <laughs> Solheim teams I've been on. <laughs> From, you know, Stacy and the captains, the assistant captains, to each and every player out here just giving it our all. And, you know, I think we all kind of took what Stacy told us to heart, where we, we play hard, play to win, and, you know, most importantly, have fun. And, you know, we may not have gotten the cup back, but we definitely had fun out there. And we kind of looked at each other and really just enjoyed the moments and kind of built each other up while doing so. Listen, when I'm all old and gray one day and look back, I'm going to remember our team rooms where Megan and Angel and all these girls were hyping us up. And I wish you guys had a camera. I wish people I'm could glad have you guys didn't have a camera. <laughs> what I experienced last night and this week because it was unbelievable. And like Lilia said, even playing the Europeans, I will remember it. 
looking back, Suzanne telling me if it was any other match, it would have already been done, but we are 10 under, 13 under going in. Those are the moments we live for and we built. So just, I just, that's something that I'm going to remember. When I retire, when I'm all done with things, it's not about who won the cup. It's about that moment. And it built it. <laughs> I was sitting there at closing ceremonies next to Molly. We were talking about whether, you know, whether there should be, when it is a tie, should it be, should it be a playoff? Should it be a retain the cup? And I don't know. I mean, it's obviously it'd be better TV. Um, it'd be better experience for the fans if there was a, whether it was a team playoff or something like that. I think that would be pretty cool. But if you want to stick with the history of the event and history of what the men do as well, you probably stick with retaining the cup. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that either way, to be honest. No, I, uh, the process worked. Um, my goal, I, you know, when I got this call, my number one thing for these girls, it wasn't winning the cup. It was to make sure they had a great experience and they had fun. And we succeeded at that. I do know that. And we're so close. Um, so, no, nothing. We're going to go through the same process um, Go, we'll go to the drawing board again, come up with some new ideas to make it a little bit different behind the scenes, you know, continue to make it fun. But the process of the pairings and how we went about putting players together, what order they put in, I don't see a whole lot of that changing because it works this year. It works, and we're moving in the right direction. And um, I'm really excited about the future of this U.S. team. The whole week in general feels like a win. I mean, just where, where we were coming from out of Toledo to where this team is at now, it was a win. Um, and, and, that, and that's all that matters. I think it's, it's more about these girls, where they are mentally, how they felt about this. You know, they were crying because it meant something to them, and that, that's all I was trying to achieve this week. So do you guys agree with Captain Stacy Lewis. And when Stacy Lewis talks about the direction of the team, she and Suzanne Patterson, bear in mind, they both will be the respective captains the next go-round, which will only be in 51 weeks from today. But do you agree with Stacy in a couple different things? One being, do you view it as a week of success for Team USA? Is a tie in the Solheim Cup something to be celebrated? The second part was the question of whether a competition like this should end in a tie. And there was, there was a great deal of talk about uh, through social media, of course, et cetera, where many people feel as though ending an event of this stature in a tie is somehow leaving the shoe untied. Why not tie it up? Why not make it complete? Why not actually have someone who is defined as a winner? Uh, versus someone who, in this instance, is defined as a loser. For my part, I happen to be siding with the side that goes, you know what, it's okay the way it is. And the reason why I say that is I believe that very much we live in a world today where we want instant gratification, we want instant delivery, we want it, and we want it right now. But the fact that the Ryder Cup, which started it, was structured in such a way that a draw, a tie, would result in the last winner of the respective cup, whether Ryder Cup or Solheim Cup for this conversation, holding on to it and retaining it. 
Uh, the reason why on the Ryder Cup side, I think it is so significant is that one of the most significant events in the entire history of the Ryder Cup was a tie. That was in 1969. Uh, that was when Jack Nicklaus conceded the last putt that Tony Jacklin was facing. Tony Jacklin has said it was from some 24 inches. I've seen the two men sitting next to each other holding up their fingers, showing how far the putt was from the hole. And Tony Jacklin's is about this far. And Jack Nicklaus, to me, looked like his was farther. But nonetheless, uh, it was a concession. And Jack said to him on that day, I didn't think that you were going to miss it, but I wasn't going to give you the chance to. Anyway, it was the understanding that the competition, in this case that we're talking about, the Ryder Cup, is supposed to be a competition that is about the good of the game of golf. It's about what Jack did that day, putting his arm around the shoulder of Tony Jacklin. Now, the significance of it was post-Second World War, where you had Europe trying to rebuild from the rubble, the American teams were dominating. Now, bear in mind, these were American teams that included the likes of Billy Casper and Arnold Palmer and, yes, Jack Nicklaus, right through the likes of Tom Watson, etc. So these teams were crushing what was then the Great Britain and Ireland side. Jack Nicklaus was one of the voices through the 1970s that begged the British PGA to include the entire continent of Europe. And of course, that happened in 1979. Uh, and in 1979 and 1981, the American teams waxed them again because the American teams were so very, very strong. So that tie, that draw in 1969, it was called uh, famously the concession, was something that Jack Nicklaus seemingly had this ability to do, which was to peer into the future and see the significance of something that happened today uh, that would grow into something much, much bigger down the road. And it has. So that significance continues to be there. Uh, there. There were other significant moments. When there was the battle at the, at the PGA National, uh, when, when Lanny Watkins hits the last shot, that Jack Nicklaus came out and, and kissed his divot. Uh, that, that was when Seve Ballesteros went back in and said, guys, we tied. This was incredibly significant with what they accomplished. Uh, following that, of course, there was the breakthrough victory in 1985 with Sam Torrance held his arms aloft in the shape of a V at the Belfry. It was followed by the victory by the European side in 1987 when Jack Nicklaus was captain uh, at his own course at Muirfield Village. So the significance of ties and what it means for a team as they march forward versus having something concluded in a playoff, which is what we're used to and we get delivered in every other sport. Okay, we've seen that, we have that, we get that. Uh, however, in the case of these instances that I'm citing to you, they were really significant because they built towards a stronger competition. And now the Ryder Cup, I'm sure you would agree, is as strong as it ever has been, but they've all been built on those stones of those foundations. So I am one that believes that you do not have to have the instant gratification that comes from a sudden death winner or a loser when we're talking about the Ryder Cup or when we're talking about the Solheim Cup. I believe just like these women were saying in these press conferences that these events are bigger than any one of them individually. And I think individually we all can wait to find out what the fate is uh, coming up next when they get together. Normally it seems like an excruciating two years that we have to wait. In the case of the Solheim Cup, we're talking about 51 weeks and change, and they will be at it again. 
We're not done yet either here on the Fairways of Life show. Live coming to you today from Rome. We're going to be inside of the media center for the rest of the week. Uh, Very much looking forward to that as well, but also looking forward to your reactions when we come back, including a reaction to, did you see what happened on Friday? You saw when uh, Lexi Thompson hit the shank at 18. Uh, It ended up arguably uh, that, because she was there in two in the par five, and arguably they ended up losing that match because of what took place there. She was asked about it in a press conference, and she brushed the question away as though in some ways, perhaps my interpretation, it was inappropriate to ask the question. I'm curious what you guys think about that and what is the propriety in terms of the role of a journalist in that setting, not to be sensational, but to simply ask a player for comment on something that took place within the circle of competition. Uh, That much, much more coming up on the Fairways of Life show, including hearing from some very, very big names, not only in the world of golf, but in the world of football as well. We'll have it for you uh, right after this. The Fairways of Life show is presented by the PGA Tour Superstore, the number one golf retailer in all the land. Yeah, more than 60 big, beautiful stores spread out from coast to coast now. And within them, what do you need? You're going to find it. But the beauty of it is you don't have to do it alone. You get to shop with the pros. These are massive stores that are staffed by professionals. And it is so significant because the competition doesn't do that. They got rid of all their professionals. The people that are talking to you about a club don't know anything more about that club than probably you do. Then shop with the pros. Shop with the best. Know that what you're getting is the best for your game so you can play your best at your happy place. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs. The Tour Ball reinvented. The Gen 6 Iron is a culmination of everything that we have learned as a team. The absolute best golf club I've ever hit. It's something special. Say hello to the new PXG Gen 6 Iron. The longest, most accurate irons we've ever made. They go higher and farther than any iron that I have hit to date. And they're so easy to hit. Super excited for the consumer to try this. They're going to love them. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm going to go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're going to need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. 
I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know, Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One, zero, one. Gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz, sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. As we welcome you back, Ryder Cup week, we're broadcasting live from Rome. Good day, one and all, from wherever you are joining us. Normally, Dom, it's us saying to our viewers around the world, where are you watching us from? But today, it's us coming to the world from Rome. I am curious with everything that we just heard and saw and went through from the Solheim Cup, are you hearing a lot of comments back from the people today? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, uh, there's tons of stuff coming down the pipe. Um Bob says, I agree with you, Matt. It's a shame it's not in the same year as the Ryder Cup. I really enjoyed watching the Solheim Cup this weekend. Chris says, how much fun would it be if there was an event with the U.S. versus Europe with the men and the women together, a combined event? I think that would be a blast with huge marketing opportunities for golf. David says, the Solheim Cup was riveting. Uh, NBT3 says it was a pretty good cup. Poor putting, mind you, but great shots. Very cool ending for the Spaniard. Amazing shot, obviously referencing Carlotta Saganda's putt on the 17th 17, hole that sort yeah. of wrapped things up. Uh, David says, our girls usually putt better. Although, I'll be honest, I don't know where David's... I don't know where David is. So I'm not sure if he's talking about the U.S. girls putting better or the year. There was a lot of really good play. Andrew, put the player records up while I'm reading through some of this just so folks can see how everybody fared. I do think, as I'm reading through this, uh, Matt, it is interesting if you look at the records there, 2023 for this year's event. Some of the younger players, like a Cheyenne Knight, like a Lynn Grant, um, Leona McGuire, really showed well. And some of the veterans yeah. didn't play too didn't play too great. On yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go through Georgia it just Hall, in case. It's interesting. Just for the people that are that are maybe listening to us on the on the uh, digital radio side, Allison Corpus went two one and one. Uh, Ali Ewing went one three and zero. Oh. Daniel Kang two two and zero. Megan Kang three zero oh, and one. Cheyenne Knight two zero oh, and one. I mean, just pause on those two for a second. Think about that. It's incredible. Nellie Corda two two and zero. Oh. Jennifer Cupcho zero oh, two and one. Andrea Lee one two and one. Lexi Thompson three one and zero. Oh, okay. Keep that in mind in terms of context of what we're about to talk about. She has uh, her overall record at the Solheim Cup is 9-7-7. Seven, seven. She has a winning record both this past week and overall in, in all of the Ryder Cups that she's, or Solheim Cups that she's been a part of. Lilia Vu, 1-3-0. Oh. Uh, Angel Yin, 2-1-0. And, oh, and she has a winning record too at 5-3-1 overall. Rose Zhang was 0-2-1 oh, uh, in her rookie debut. Now on the European side, Celine Boutier was 0-3 and 0, kind of shocking uh, for for a major champion to to go without any points whatsoever. Uh, Carlotta Saganda was dominant, 4-0 and 0, uh, the best record of anybody in this Solheim Cup. Uh, Gemma Dryberg was 0-0 and 2. Lynn Grant 
two in O with with as dominant as she was. You would think that her record was even better than that. It was just when she got her wins, they were significant. Georgia Hall was one, two, and one. Caroline Headwall was one, one, and O. Charlie Hall was one, two, and O. Leona McGuire, three, two, and O. And again, she's another one that that's that's just like Grant, where you hear three, two, and O and go, geez, with all the talk about her, I would think that her record would have been more like Saganda's then three and two, but it was when the wins came and the significance of the timing. Uh, Anna Nordquist was one and three. Emily uh, Pedersen was two, two and one. Madeline Sagstrom was one, one and one. And Maja Stark was two, one and one. So that's a look at it. What else you got, Don? Uh, plenty. Uh, uh, if you think Leona is a competitor, wait until you see Shane Lowry out there this week and team him up with Terrell Hatton. <laughs> yeah, now looking forward to that, David says. Uh, Lynn Grant, Roderick says, looked the best player out there to me. We just went over the how well the players play. I mean, she definitely looked really good. I was surprised by how well some of the younger players played. Uh, don't change the rules of a tie if it, that's been the tradition. You need to win the cup outright. Uh, good morning, Michael says. Good morning. Uh, Lowry can win matches with a beer in one hand, Cindy says. Well, we'll find out. Uh, good morning. What a week for Bryson DeChambeau. That dude is hot. Can't believe Zach didn't even give 1% of Bryson any chance to serve his country and play the Ryder Cup team. Insane. Uh, that's, that's from Neil. He is referencing Bryson DeChambeau winning the Live Golf Chicago event. We will get a chance to go over that. We've got some sound from him as well. That is coming up later in the program. I don't follow MBT3 rights. I don't follow women's golf closely, but this cup was a really good competitive match. Did anybody watch the live event this week? I totally forgot there was even a tournament. Very bad scheduling on live going up against the Solheim Cup. Listen, all these events are on top of each other, men and women. You, you can't separate them out. There's, there's only so many weeks in a year, and then there's so many tournaments. It's just the way it is. Um, it's I topped each other, Dom, good, not, not to mention... Be. Not to mention uh, in in America, college football, the NFL, uh, baseball getting ready for well, in, the playoffs. In, in, the in NHL in fairness, starting their preseason. Uh, I think it was Michael who said that. In fairness, at least for those in the United States, the Solheim Cup was finishing late morning, eleven noonish. That's when that's when play was finishing up, and at least in the states. Late afternoon is when the Live Golf Chicago event was, was teeing off, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So they didn't really completely overlap. Now, I, I've saw yeah, a couple talking folks about, uh, complaining about – go ahead. Dom, I was going to say, you're talking about people sitting in, in front of a television literally from the crack of dawn until late at night because of all these different sports. I'm not necessarily talking about when and where you invest your time in viewing. I'm talking about hearts and minds. Where, where you're investing your passion, and it's just hard. There's so much going on. Uh, you know, we, we came in from Dublin, my, my son CJ and I, and we were there Saturday night, and the Rugby World Cup is going on right now, and I'm sure we have a lot of rugby fans that are, are watching us from probably places all over the world. They played the defending champion South Africa, and Ireland beat them. Can you imagine what Dublin was like on Saturday night? It was totally insane and so much fun. So there's, there's just a lot going on. So I don't criticize people for not being able to invest. I just celebrate the fact that we're able to, to talk about these great accomplishments that these players have made. So, you know what, even if we give it to them in, in bite-side servings, that's okay. For sure. Cindy says, in the U.S., NBC should have carried the Solheim Cup live in the morning. 
Uh, it was on Golf what? Channel mostly, which was interesting. And um, it was the television coverage was was not great. I don't want to go down. I don't want to go down into the weeds here and take a huge fork in the road. But I I, I think it was being Why, produced what you... out of German television or something like that. So they were. T- it was almost like what? they pick up. You know how the European tour will sometimes, or the DP World Tour will sometimes pick up the world feed, at least in the United States. And that's no, no, the they feed always pick the up the world feed. Taking. It's 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 not a sometimes. It is the world feed. No, and I'm talking what they about do only they... on the DP World Tour, though. I'm not talking about the U.S. tour. I'm talking about that. But the, but the, the PGA women, Tour does the same week, thing. They were taking a feed from somebody else. I think it was from a German production house. I can't. I can't. That doesn't make any sense to me. Why would they take a feed from German instead of the world feed? I recall Tom Abbott on Golf Channel specifically referencing it because he so was are complaining you me that-, that they were showing they were showing something take place, and Tom was complaining on the air. He was like, "Well, we didn't, you know, we're, 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 we can only show you what they're giving us because they missed someone's putt. I think Andrea Lee made a birdie putt to win a hole against somebody, or in, in, when they were in, I think when they were uh, like in foursomes or something like that, and they didn't have it." And Tom went on the air and was like, oh, you know, they've given us what they give us. They don't have it, so we don't have it. Sorry. I did actually see – obviously, I couldn't see any of what you guys were seeing but uh, back in the USA. But I did see in social media when I was kind of scrolling through it, there were a lot of people complaining about the coverage. And I, I'm not sure if that's what you mean in terms of going into the weeds and going down roads. You don't feel like going down right now. But I did, I did see it, uh, truth be told. I saw a lot of people complaining about it. Well, the, uh, this will be the last thing I say about the coverage, but it, and it's not just a Solheim Cup. Um, from an entertainment standpoint, the networks across the board, you name the event, Live Golf, Solheim Cup, Arnold Palmer Invitational, whatever, they have not figured out how to cover golf. It's, it, we are a unique animal, right? Something is happening every single second the, all the time or someone's hitting a golf ball. And there's a lot of people on the golf course hitting a golf ball, and that's very, very challenging to cover from a production standpoint, especially when the eyeballs that are clicking on something or watching something on television tend to lean towards a big name, right? So Ricky Fowler's not playing great, but there's a lot of people who might be watching said tournament because Ricky Fowler's playing, and so production will tend to cover a Ricky Fowler golf shot than someone else's golf shot. So it's very complicated trying to figure out how to cover a golf tournament because if you're watching a soccer game or if you're watching a basketball game, you don't miss anything ever, right? And so I think that's where the, the, the people get frustrated because they feel like they're not getting to watch all of the golf. I'm not saying I have the answer. I don't. I'm saying it's a, it's a, our sport offers a very unique challenge, unlike uh, football or, go- uh, or basketball or, or soccer, or these other sports where – Every second of the action is on television. When they take a timeout, that's when the commercials take place, when the, when the gameplay stops. That doesn't happen in golf. So it's complicated. I'll go through a few more things of these, Matt, and then we can talk about Lexi Thompson's comments. We have the clip of her answering a question. It's interesting. I'm curious what you're thinking about it. But let me go through a few more things here. MBT3, very bad scheduling. A college football in the NFL is the challenge against Live this week, like what you said. I, I think it's a challenge against everything, not just Live. Uh, it's always a battle up against the NFL. The amount of coverage was disgraceful. We just talked about that. You have to go to YouTube. You can watch the condensed clips there. That's a good way to do it. Um, let's see. More discussion about the coverage not being the way they wanted it, et cetera, et cetera. 
They were five hours ahead of us. It's member uh, Irish Miles. It was live. Remember, they were five hours ahead of us. The coverage started at 2 a.m. People are watching from oh, all right. over the world. So these coverages from these different sports are all, are all at different times for all these folks watching. I get it. Yep. Now, don't need journalists altering history. Thank you. It's only Americans who don't understand the value of a halved match. Speaking of that, the journalists, Matt, why don't we transition here? Because we can come back to this. There's lots of folks. We appreciate you chiming in. You can go to YouTube. Just let us know your thoughts. We'll get to them if we can. We love the interaction. We love hearing from you folks. Uh, but, uh, Matt, I'm assuming you saw at least some of what happened with Lexi Thompson this weekend. I did. I, I Just to comment on that last uh, response that you read where someone said, we don't need journalists changing the structure. I, I don't know of any journalists that I'm aware of that are clamoring for a change and a draw at the Solheim Cup or the Ryder Cup. Now, again, I'm I'm been in Europe for weeks, so maybe I'm missing something that 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 individual is referring to. Uh, but I'm not, I don't know if it, I, I can't think of any prominent golf journalists that saying that this needs to change. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. So put that call out there uh, as to an interaction between journalist and player uh, Friday afternoon. And it was four balls. Uh, Lexi was with Lilia Vu and she's, she was up against Hall and McGuire. They're on 18 par five. Lexi's next to the putting surface in two. Uh, she has a chip. It's a little bit of an awkward chip. The ball's kind of below her. Uh, it's, it's a difficult chip. Uh, they're professional players. So this, this isn't something they would not have faced before. And it's just difficult. So afterwards at the press conference, it was Alex Maselli and Alex Maselli uh, has been a journalist for various entities over the course of a, of a long career. Uh, most recently with a publication that was called Morning Read. It may still operate under that name, but it's definitely under the umbrella of Sports Illustrated Golf. So Alex, and you'll hear this, asked Lexi about the shot. She ended up shanking the shot. Uh, the, the European side ended up chipping and making birdie, winning the hole, winning that particular match. Uh, again, you can't rewrite history or interpret it any way you want to. Uh, there were those that could look at that and go, you know what? Uh, the difference in that half point, or as it were in reality, a point, said if they, if they had tied, uh, could have been the difference between winning and losing. I think that's grossly unfair to make that assumption, but I can understand where, where people would jump to uh, such a conclusion nonetheless. So perhaps that was the context of Alex Maselli. I don't know. But, he, but the following question was asked and answer was given in this clip. Lexi, could you talk about the third shot at 18? Uh, I'm, there was some question on what you were trying to do and what you actually did do um, on the third shot. Could you just go through it for us? I don't need to comment on that. Excuse me? I don't need to comment on the chip. It was a bad lie, and I didn't hit a good chip, but it was pretty much impossible. So. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, to Amy, and then down front. That's terrible question. Okay, so at the end, you heard the host say to Amy, because you could hear, I guess, uh, what I'm told was Stacey Lewis saying that was a terrible question uh, from the American journalist. So there's a number of different things that strike me on that. The first one is, I think that Lexi is getting too much heat. 
because when she initially said, I'm not going to comment on that, she then turned around and gave a comment, which likely would have been the exact comment that she made if she never made the, the precursor of saying, I'm not going to comment on it. She said it was you know, a terrible lie. I hit a very bad chip, et cetera, et cetera. She actually commented on what happened. She didn't go forensically into it. Uh, what I think happened was, I think with, with Lexi is we get used to Lexi being a person that we know is emotionally fragile. And my guess is, is that when, if, if you, if you wish to call them such, but when her demons are revealed, they tend to be revealed in the short game, right? Nothing that I'm saying here isn't something that we don't all already know. Uh, And in this case, my guess is, is that everyone came in and said, we're not going to talk about it. And I'm talking about from leadership on down, captain or otherwise, I'm not sure if it was Stacey involved in such a decision, but I'm guessing that that's what happened, that before they went in there, they said, look, relax. It happens. It's golf. We're not going to discuss it in the press conference. If it gets brought up by the media, we're simply going to tell them we're not going to talk about it, which is the, the initial place that she went. But then, as I said, I don't think she's getting credit for the fact that she actually did answer the question, but the answer was lost in the shadow of the fact that she said, I'm not going to discuss it, which brings up a much bigger issue. But before we get to it, uh, Andrew, go ahead and play it again, please. I, w- I want everyone to hear exactly what we're talking about. Lexi, could you talk about the third shot at 18? Uh, I'm, there was some question on what you were trying to do and what you actually did do um, on the third shot. Could you just go through it for us? I don't need to comment on that. Excuse me? I don't need to comment on the chip. It was a bad lie, and I didn't hit a good chip, but it was pretty much impossible. So. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, to Amy, and then down front. Terrible question. Okay, so you just heard the whole piece again from Andrew, and hopefully uh, with a little bit more context there with, with everything that, that we're discussing. Again, here's, here's the issue that we're facing. In, this is kind of a today's world scenario. Uh, in, and it was, wasn't that many shows ago, just a couple of days ago, we got into a conversation about Phil Mickelson. And I've told you guys this a million times, and, and it's something that I, I realize not many people talk about, but it is reality of what it was. We went through a couple of decades where both Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods told the media what they wanted to tell them, right? They went in there with an agenda. In Tiger's case, I used to get a kick out of it because he would address the media, and even if he had a bad round, he would try to plant the seeds you can call it manipulate the media if you want to, but I think he was trying to plant the seeds for how the story would be written, where Tiger would say, kind of as soon as I say it, you guys are going to laugh and smile because you've heard it a million times, where Tiger would say, well, I just couldn't get the, the speed of the greens. I just couldn't get the speed of the greens. The implication being that there were inconsistencies in the speed of the greens and where he, where he would pick it up perhaps in one hole, it was way off on another, which always seemed a little odd to me because I thought to myself, well, okay, if you couldn't get the speed of the greens in your round, wouldn't that have been a problem that universally would have affected much of the field when you still had guys going out and shooting great rounds, right? But that's Tiger. He would, he would, he would predefine the story. We'd want to try to pre-write the story for you. Phil was the same way. Phil would definitely go in. He was very, very much agenda driven, especially in his pre-tournament comments where maybe it was, he he wanted to weave in a sponsor, what have you. He knew exactly what he was doing. So we dealt with platitudes for decades where players said exactly what they wanted to say. And then there was this kind of new breed of players that, that came in. Uh, think when 
Steve Stricker late in his career started to win with regularity. Uh, think when Bubba would win. And both of those players, when they get very emotional, they would start to cry. Right? And they were pretty roundly criticized for that. And I was thinking to myself, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you want? Right? We criticize the top players because they don't really tell us anything. And then when you have a player that bears their soul to a point that they're weeping openly in front of you with joy, and we criticize that because it doesn't represent the gladiatorial depiction of what an athlete is supposed to be. Now, in this case, with Lexi, again, who's kidding who? We know Lexi. We know the book on Lexi. We know that she gets emotionally fragile. She's taken time away and told us as much because of such. We've seen it with other players, Matthew Wolf or what have you. Players are being way more forthcoming, way more honest. We live in a world today where players, golfers, tell us what they're thinking more so than we have had in a long, long time, if ever. And I think, and when I say if ever, because I'm talking about the volume. So the fact that Lexi Thompson in this instance said, I don't want to discuss that. How you react to it depends upon your perspective. Do you believe that players have a right to keep private those things that they, in fact, don't want to discuss? Hits a little too close to home. I'm a little too emotionally fragile in that area. I just don't want to discuss it. Does a player have a right to do that? Or do you want to see a world where players are forced to address the media? Remember, before Bryson left the PGA Tour, he felt he was, he was treated unfairly by the media. He didn't talk to the media for a long time. Rory, with greater frequency, will not talk to the media. Just not talk to him at all. I'm not talking about getting in front of him and then not answering any real questions. I'm talking about not going to see him, not talking to him. Players today have the ability to carry their message directly to the people. Tiger started it with his website. Remember one time he actually did his own press conference on his website? That was a shot across the bow of the established golf media. That's exactly what they did, why they did it, in my view. And it was huge, right? Now with social media, players can send directly messages out to tens and tens and tens of millions anytime they want. So sitting in front of the media with the whole idea of what's the basis of that? What's the exchange? What's the quid pro quo? Well, it's based upon the fact of if you are going to live off the fat of the calf of of being a professional athlete and getting sponsorship dollars and playing for, for big money, well, then you have to sit in front of the media and your message has to be carried forth. Whereas players can look at that now and go, why? I don't need to sit in front of the media and get my message out to the people. So what's the exchange? Well, then the exchange in that instance has to be one of respect. Both ways. One of respect. I think what happened with Lexi Thompson was not an error in terms of her going, you know, I really don't want to talk about that. It was an error in terms of how the propriety of the message was delivered. If it had been another athlete, if it had been another deliverance of the message. Think about an athlete that you like, for example, someone that you support. Maybe it's Tiger and Phil, whoever it is, whatever it is. But think about if that athlete sat up there and the question was asked in the exact same way that Alex asked the question. And that person said, Alex, 
It was a bad lie. I thought it was an impossible chip and I did a terrible job executing the chip. That's it. Other than that, my friend, I really don't want to go down that road. Is, is it scar tissue? Call it what you want. You guys write whatever you want about it. But I'm just being honest with you. I, the, that was my view of what, what I faced. That's what I did. I'm flat out telling you I had a terrible chip. I don't think there's anything more to talk about there. Would we feel differently about it? I think so. So is there a learning opportunity here? Yes. Uh, was it a terrible question? No. I think it was a fair question that Alex Maselli asked. I just think how it was handled post wasn't the way it should have been. And I'm not telling you that Lexi should be forced to sit on that stage and answer the question that she doesn't want to. What she should do is communicate and say why she's feeling the way that she's feeling. Then I think it's fair. Right? Dom, I'm 100% convinced that there are many that will vehemently disagree with what I said, and I suspect you feel the same way. Well, I wouldn't say I disagree. I mean, I can read some of the comments coming in. Uh, Shank, after a great drive, I must add. Shank, 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 I press. Don't say the S word. (laughs) The problem with Lexi is that she has a history of battling putting and chipping yips. Uh, Paul says, did Lexi choke again? David says she was 3-1-0. Uh, MBT3 says, easy on Lexi. She was struggling. It runs in the family. Her brother, Curtis, also had issues putting. Lexi didn't choke. It was just one bad shot. She's one yeah. of the best players on the team. She could have answered that question maybe a bit differently, I think. Why didn't she just say, I hit a bad shot? It looked like a tough chip, but there's not much you can do there. Still got a par in the end. Lexi was the women's team's Justin Thomas. Matt, Kane's out group says, I think you are correct. The news no longer covers the news. They produce the narrative. She knew what the guy was driving at. Her play stood for itself. We can have a bad shot under pressure. As golfer, We know as golfers that the very best can mess up. The vagaries of the sport. Look at Charlie Hall and Georgia Hall on our side. Great players hit bad shots all the time. It's why we watch. The news, unquote, is now opinion. Pro players, whoop, whoop, it's moving around like crazy because there's so many people uh, commenting here. Give me a second. <laughs> the stuff, <laughs> it just keeps going, oh, going, because there's so many people commenting. Uh, the only thing I was going to say, Matt, very briefly as an add-on to you is in the NBA, professional basketball in the States, in the NFL, it is in the player's contract that you have to speak with the media. It's part of your job. The only thing I would say is professional golf, women and men, is Lexi making the same amount of money as John Rahm? No, but she's got plenty of money in the bank. Part of being a professional off, uh, uh, athlete is being accountable and speaking to the media. It's part of the job, in my opinion. So I, I don't think... I almost don't think there's an unfair question that can be asked. Even if you ask an inappropriate question, price to do in business. Tiger had to go through that a lot with the TMZ stuff when he was going through some of the things he was going through that, that Thanksgiving Eve. So it comes to the territory, Matt. I don't know what to say. I mean, if you, if you get asked an inappropriate question, 
you know what? You're you're the face of a sport. You're the face of a team. You're the you're you're a public figure. Comes with the territory. Does it mean it's unfair? Maybe, but I don't I don't think that we shouldn't be allowed to ask the questions, even if they're bad questions. And I do yeah, think I, that I, in some cases, especially specifically in this case, you have to answer the question. She's got to answer that question. She can't say, I'm not going to comment. You've got to answer it. Even if the answer is, I hit a bad shot, like you said. Even if the answer is, listen, I hit a bad shot, Alex. I'm sorry. It happens. Okay, well, that's still an answer. Right. But to be like, I'm not going right. to comment but, on how bad I hit it. Yeah, but I, again, it's, it's funny. It's funny in the, in the world of communication how it goes. Because as I've already said, I don't think the question was unfair. I don't. I, didn't, I have no issue whatsoever with the question that Alex asked because it was an incident that took place, uh, and it was a critical incident that took place at a point in time when, in fact, that match was lost because of it. Arguably, she was there in two on a par five. Um, I think it was a question of packaging. When when she started out by saying, in essence, I'm not going to discuss it. I think that was a decision that was made before she got up there. And I think that was a decision that was made collectively from people that care about her and wanted to make sure that these call them scars uh, were, were not reopened. And, and I think it was a smart strategy from, from a leadership standpoint, from a captain standpoint to take that kind of leadership position and go, no, 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 we're going to protect you. We're not talking about this. I get that from a kind of a, you know, hardcore, uh, perspective. When you talk about people who are forced to address the media, and then, then I think about someone like a Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick says exactly what he wants or doesn't want to say when he's uh, addressing the media, even though he's talking to the media. So talking to the media and what you say to the media and actually delivering messages of substance and pertinence are two different things. In this case, what I'm saying to give credit to Lexi Thompson, I get that she said she's not going to discuss it. I think it wasn't a question of what happened. It was a question of how it was packaged because she actually answered the question. If you think about the substance of what took place, she answered the question. If that's all she said, and she reversed her comments separately and, and answered the, with the second half first, right? Very difficult chip, nearly impossible. I did a terrible job with it. Good all kinds of shake. And then on the second half of it said what I mentioned earlier to go, but Alex, I got to tell you, we're looking forward to everything that's ahead of us. We're in a great position right now. We're going to continue this fight. I'm not going to dwell on what took place there. I'm moving forward with my mindset. So, yeah, you, I just told you what I told you. Tough position, tough chip, terrible execution, all true. Now it's behind me. I'm looking forward. If she had said something like that, we'd all go, okay, cool. Move on. It's just that she started with going, I'm not going to talk about it. And then Alex said, excuse me? <laughs> And she was like, look, it was a, da, 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 da. so, and I, and I even think Alex, I'd, I'd love to talk to him about if I see him this week, because I think his response was, was a little bit more than shock. I do think there was a little bit of drama there too, where I think he was, I think he was, he was saying it in such a way as to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're at a podium. Our job is to ask you questions. Your job is to answer the question. You missed this shot. It's a shot. What happened? That's all I'm asking you. Right. So I, I, I think a lot of this was packaging and not necessarily just about the big philosophical questions, which are, A, does the media have the right to ask any question that they want in that setting? Right? I'm asking this to all you guys out there. Does the media have the right to ask any question they want in that setting? 
B, does a player have the right or do they have an obligation to answer the question that they're asked? Bearing in mind the reality of we went through decades where the top two players in the game answered the questions that they wanted to answer. And other than that, they gave non-answers. Fact, I'm not making an opinion here. I'm just saying that's what happened. Right. But do we live in a world now where somehow, especially in the world of golf, well, the rules have gotten a little stricter and a little tighter and they've changed. Now you've got to answer the question that you get asked. Do you? What do you feel about that? Or are we in a situation where players can pretty much make the decision? On the PGA Tour, I've told you this before. I think players at times are too coddled. Player says he doesn't want to address the media. I'm going to go, okay. I've been in press conferences where I know certain uh, more sensationalized media entities have not been granted access. Why? Because the questions that they're likely to ask. Right? So there's a lot of protection that goes on anyway. I'm not trying to give you answers in these questions I'm asking. I'm just asking you guys, what do you think? Does a player have a right to protect their privacy or emotions or reaction or mindset? I actually was scolded one time uh, by by a person that I was working for because it was a pre-tournament interview, pre-tournament interview. And I asked about something like, uh, yes, I, I don't even remember the question. It was years ago, but something along the lines of, hey, when you finished your round yesterday, you told me that you were struggling with your putting. Were you able to work on it? And do you feel like that you've been able to kind of shore up that particular area of concern? Person said to me later on, said, you never, in a pre-tournament interview, you never ask a player about a weakness like that. You never, you never plant that seed in their head. I was like, okay. I mean, you listen to things that people say. I, that was a piece of advice I disagreed with. I think you treat people with, with equity and you treat them fairly and, you, you ask the questions that need to be asked at the time they need to be asked, not from the standpoint of trying to damage anybody. That's not why I set out to do what I do. I don't think we've ever done an interview where you specifically try to gain from, from the demise of another. Uh, so I, I am curious what, what all you guys think about that. Dom, hopefully this, this isn't the, the pathway down the weeds, as you call it, that, uh, that you didn't want to go with all of this stuff with, with talking about, because I know this is some pretty deep philosophical stuff about relations between of players and setting their and getting their message out to the public and how it's done and where it's done and responsibilities that lie on each side. It's an extremely complex issue and one that we could spend days talking about. I, I do think it's, I do think it's interesting. And I think that the shape shifting that the media landscape has gone through in the last 10 years has dramatically altered this conversation completely because this, I mean, back in the, we, you know better than I do, what, in the 50s and the 60s, there's only like four writers following golf, and they were like best friends with the players. It was like a totally different relationship. It's no, so before, different yeah, than it was, it was no, before that. Arnold Palmer and other guys on this show 10, 15 years ago, we've had people on the show who talk about, oh, I was friends with this guy, with John Durr hanging out with Ben Hogan at the 1953 Open. He was like, right, the that's what I was going to tell you. There. It was 50s and before where there were small you know, who, who were the media companies and who were going to send people out. So the players used to go down at night and hang out in the bars and, and smoke their cigarettes and, and, and they're having playing cards and doing and hanging out with the media guys, different world. The world that exists today in golf media is actually incredibly small. 
And I always, I always point this out because when I initially say it, 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 there's a shock value that, that goes along with it. And during the reigns of Tiger Woods and, and Phil Mickelson at the top of the game was the greatest contraction in journalists covering the game of golf in the history of the sport. And they had nothing to do with it. Right. I would say it that way because when people hear that, like, wow, Phil and Tiger called all these caused all these sports writers to go. You used to have papers like uh, the Providence Journal up in Rhode Island, and they would have a dedicated writer who would be sent to the big events, including obviously the Masters, et cetera. Jim Donaldson, I remember his name. Before him, uh, uh, my mind's going blank. He's going to be mad at me because I knew him. He was a golf writer. He would cover the state amateurs and, you know, state open and anything else that's going on when the tour came in and around the area, probably write a weekly column. But those newspapers don't have those guys anymore. Those guys have been absolutely wiped out, redundant, as they call it on this side of the pond, by the hundreds, if not the thousands. They're gone. They don't exist in the, in the field anymore. Why did that happen? It wasn't Tiger. It wasn't Phil. When you had these two guys at the height of the sport, particularly Tiger, right, with what he was doing with, with you know, now 15 major championships. When he got the news of the game of golf, it, again, to use an old uh, media phrase, he got above the fold. You know, when you talk about the old newspapers, you open the newspaper and you fold the newspaper. Well, above the fold are the big stories. Well, Tiger Woods got it above, not only above the fold, he got out of the sports section, he got onto the front page. Right. While that was happening, all of these journalists are getting wiped out. Had nothing to do with Tiger. It had to do with economics. It had to do with with methods of delivery. So now you've got someone like Doug Ferguson for the Associated Press. He is the golf writer for these publications. One guy in tens of thousands of media entities. That's the big change. Right. And I think Doug does an incredibly good job with what he does. And I think he's very balanced. And I think he tries to be very equitable with, with how he goes about doing it. But it is not easy to do. And it's a very, very, very different world media-wise than what it used to be. There are now, I don't know whether you'd call them journalists or personalities by their own definition. But how you get news delivered, golf news delivered at large, has changed. You've got these entities that have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of followers. That's, whether you like it or not, that's media. That's today's media. Uh, and I think many of them do a very, very good job. And I think they try to be very balanced in, in what they do and how they do it. But I think you, for, for many of them, you also can see an evolution in that regard, where at first everything was kind of snarky and at times could be negative and at time, other times even inappropriate. But as they evolve and get bigger and have more and more interaction with players and leagues and events, uh, they tend to find the pathway that's a little bit more balanced, at least from a journalistic standpoint. But yeah, Dom, sorry, I don't mean to go, go too deeply down this road. It is, to me, it's really, really fascinating conversation. Oh, it's really fascinating. But we can, we, I mean, there's, uh, and there's always time to talk about this stuff, but I do want to get to live golf and Bryson winning because that is a little bit interesting. We do have some comments from Bryson. And I also want to talk at least a little bit about the Ryder Cup. We've got days ahead of us when you're in Rome to talk about the Ryder Cup. Press conference schedule, guys coming through the press room. Uh, we've got lots of information about all the players on the team that we can go over. So, 
Matt, if you want to take a break, maybe we can do live when we come back and at least touch on some of the Ryder Cup stuff, and then we'll keep going as the week rolls on. Yeah, as you can see here behind me, the weather in Rome right now is absolutely gorgeous. The temperatures, uh, to give it to you, for those uh, watching the United States and Fahrenheit, is going to be in the middle 80s as we go throughout the week, and it is expected to be uh, warm and dry. Uh, Marco Simone got a lot of rain last week. But early reports that we're getting uh, right now is that the golf course is starting already to dry out. And it got some interesting reports, which we'll talk about as the week progresses, about the rough uh, and that the rough is really thick along the sides of the fairway. Uh, it, when I was on the operations side of the industry, we used to call that overspray. That means where, where you're, you're watering the fairways and there'd be an overspray on the edge of the fairways with water and with chemicals, fertilization, et cetera. So it tends to make this really thick collar that if you miss a fairway by a foot or two feet or three feet, you might be in a situation where you just got to chop it out sideways. Whereas if you miss it by 20 feet, you're in a situation where uh, you've got a shot that you can hit. Maybe because it's trampled, but at the very least because it's just thinner than the rough that sits right along uh, the fairway. Really interesting uh, perspective on that because Golf Digest last week uh, released some information that said, yeah, at uh, the Golf National, they did a study, that they being the European side, and said, well, when the American team misses the fairway, they tend to miss by a specific distance, talking 20 feet, 30 feet. Right on average, they're looking at averages, obviously. And so, what they decided to do was they moved the rope lines accordingly, so that in the landing area of where the Americans would miss by those distances, they wouldn't end up getting the benefit of a ball that's in an area that's been trampled by the gallery. Instead, they found themselves in very thick rough. Think about what we're talking about here. Is that a, not a fascinating revelation? Absolutely incredible. All right, as Dom suggested, we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Bryson in Chicago winning that live event. Uh, in his press conference, which you're about to hear, he was asked about the fact of, hey, with what you've done, what you're shooting, what you're winning, uh, you're not on that Ryder Cup team? I mean, I, you guys might be tired of the conversation about people that are not on the Ryder Cup team. But is it a fair one to have here? You'll hear him answer that question as we carry on. DeWizGolf.com is where you can log on and see this incredible wearable device based on neuroscience that will measure your golf swing in real time and space. That much which I just said alone should be enough to have you go, what the heck are you talking about? I'm talking about something that will allow you to know your game like you've never known it before. Just a myriad of data coming at you that it's, it's a swing moderator. You want to monitor your swing to know exactly what it's doing? You can do it with the Wiz because once you get all that data, it becomes a swing modifier. Play the way you've always wanted to. The first step is know thyself. Wasn't that something somebody said here in Rome or was that like Shakespeare? Not sure. More of the Fairways of Life show when we come back. I guess, hello world, huh? <laughs> and with one subtle hello, Tiger began an amazing and unthinkable career. I've done it for 20 years now with, with Bridgestone. It allows me to play an aggressive style around the greens, and it's allowed me to win a lot of tournaments. Bridgestone Golf, proud to be part of your journey. 
Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern lower peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boynegolf.com. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls, and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. What if we started a company and the company was under no time constraints, no financial constraints? The one constraint is their clubs had to be exceptional performers and much better than any other alternative. I was told time and again it'll never work. It worked like a house of fire. And I'll tell you what, I think our customers love it. BXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Zero Friction introduces the Wheel Pro Push Cart Golf Bag with its revolutionary three-in-one design, supportive legs that spring into action, a comfort grip handle with three locking positions, accessories for the modern golfer enhanced by seven pockets for more storage, and removable all-terrain wheels which slide right into place. The new Zero Friction Wheel Pro Golf Bag checks every box for every golfer. Push, carry, or cart. The decision is yours thanks to Zero Friction. Head to ZeroFriction.com today. As we welcome you back to the Fairways of Life show, coming to you live from Rome, this Ryder Cup week. Liv was in Chicago. That man, Bryson DeChambeau, was able to close out not only the individual title, but also the team title for the Crushers with Lahiri and Charles Howell III, Paul Casey. And... You know, Bryson, I'm, I'm going to go straight to sound because, because uh, the show is already running long today. As we're, at, we're having fun here, Ryder Cup week. He was asked about his win. Call it a sneaky win because he goes deep, right? But he's capable of it. He was asked about his emotions when here he missed the, the putt and then he won. But the, the part that I think has, has the most meat for this context is – the question was asked, given your recent form, does it make you even more disappointed to not be on the Ryder Cup team? Let's take you to Live Golf Chicago. I can't even believe it still. It's kind of wild. Um, I, I really wanted Bond to make that putt. Me too. Uh, yeah, I know. And uh, it's never one of those things you want to see a teammate go through. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is. And I think, you know, he's he's learned a lot, obviously, throughout the course of his time at Live. You've had a bunch of seconds, right? And Time's coming. Thanks for reminding me. I just had to say, but I'm, what, I'm saying, <laughs> I'm, I'm what I'm saying, though, is like, 
he has been an unbelievable player, uh, as well as Paul and Charles supporting us from, from you know, the depths, unfortunately. From the back. Sorry, I had to say that. <laughs> Thanks, Bryce. <laughs> no, I, I love you. <laughs> but, but what I can say, though, is that these guys uh, mean the world to me. And when I was going through my tough times, I can't tell you how many times that they would talk to me personally and say, hey, man, there's a reason why you're here. Come on, you're, you're better than this. Let's go. Let's go. And so... Uh, to have that support system is, is just amazing. I can't thank them enough. And um, we really just got to get the job done this year in Miami. That's the most important thing. I mean, it, you know, winning tournaments is, is important, but Miami, we want to get that win. Would it be safe to say that it gives you something to play for every yeah. day, every I week, mean, regardless was, of oh, your... Yeah. I was a great example this week. I struggled with the game. And um, <laughs> Barn and Chucky saw it the first day. I played some really good golf and then just yeah. struggled. You know, this is a difficult golf course, but the motivation to back these guys up and contribute and uh, whatever I shot today, three under was, I mean, I pulled that out of nowhere, you know, and it was really, really important in the end. It was. Yeah, we won by three, right? Was it three? Two? Two? I think it was two. Well, if it was two, I mean, even more important, right? right? So. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I'm going to kick it over to Mike. I know he's got lots of questions for you. Bryson, can you just kind of take us through your range of emotions there? Uh, I watched you after after Bond missed a putt, and that was you won the tournament, but yet you were had your head down. To, to be honest with you, I, I was actually sad. Like I really wanted him to make that so we could go battle it off in a, in a playoff and finish it off the right way. Um, you know, that, so that was the first emotion that I had, and then secondly, you got people coming over and congratulating you, and it's just like, oh, you know. I, I really didn't feel like I won it. This isn't the normal feeling that I usually have when you win a tournament. So it was definitely a huge mix of emotions. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, just, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I missed a putt on the last hole thinking that that was to get into a playoff and then to go ha have it be to, to win. I, I don't even know what to say. It's really a weird mix of emotions, but very blessed, very happy. And, um, you know, it gives all of us something to continue to keep pushing for, you know. We all, we all have the ability here to do it. Bond has shown numerous times. Paul has unbelievable skill set to, to get it done every single week, as does Mr. Chucky 3-6 over there, Mike Oba, you know. He blows so, fields away. Yeah, yeah, you blow fields away. So, you know, we've got some crazy good firepower here. And um, turning it back to my man, I, I love you, Bond. But I'm, Me too. I'm sorry. <laughs> I felt so bad. No, 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 no. Yeah. We're all trying to win. Yeah. Bryson, given how well you're playing, I mean, Yes. How much more disappointed does it make you to not be on that Ryder Cup team and you know, you're playing some of your best golf, right? Or how how are you playing better than Wingfoot? Like yeah, definitely. I, I am playing better than Wingfoot. Um, you know, if you look at it, it, it would have been nice to at least just have have a call. Um, there's numerous people that I think Zach should have called uh, out here, and, and we didn't get that. And I understand. I I, I get it, but. You know, we're we're nothing different. We're still competing. We're still working super hard to be the best we possibly can be. Brooks is obviously going to kill it for uh, Team USA next week and excited uh, for the team. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely does sting a little bit. But, you know, you say what you want. We're still golfers. And I personally think that um, given the way I played this week, I, I could have definitely racked up some points for Team USA. But, uh, it's nor here nor there. It's uh, time has gone on. Hopefully, I'll be in line for it uh, in a couple of years. But you, do you attribute it to Zach? I mean, you won his tournament in 2017 in the Quad Cities. I did. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was if he was you know back ended or whatnot. I'm not up to 
make that discussion uh, available. I have no idea what it was or how it was like or who made that decision, but um, you know, it would have been nice to for them to consider us more because we're pretty damn good out here. Interesting comments from Bryson. That was the putt, obviously, that Lahiri missed that otherwise would have put Bryson. That was He wanted to go into the playoff, et cetera, et cetera. I thought the, the, the whole 80% of that press conference before he got into the, the Ryder Cup comments, which I think he did a really good job of how he answered that incidentally. But prior to that, it, to me, was classic Bryson. I love hearing Bryson talk. I know a lot of people dislike Bryson. I've never disliked Bryson to shame. What I think he is is the type of guy that words come out of his mouth before he fully vets him, before he fully thinks about what they meant. And that, like when he was talking about Paul Casey and Charles Howell III coming from the depths, which I thought was really funny. They were all like, thanks, Bryson. Right? He wasn't trying to hurt anybody there. So a lot of times he gets criticized like, what a jerk. When he was, that wasn't his intent. That's not what he was trying to do. But as to the the points of him talking about being on the Ryder Cup team, I thought it was really mature of him to say, you know, it would have been nice to get a call. Would have been nice to get a call. Obviously, he wanted to be on the team, but he was talking about just it's nice to get a call. Because where we are now is that the, the, the thing that I find frustrating is that we still seem to be living in this dichotomy where we're being told that for the good of the game, the game is coming together. Okay, fine. Then if that's the case, why do we still have the semblance of the game being apart? I understand the formal agreement is not done yet. But if everyone is being true to the word and true to their heart and they're saying, no, this is what's best for the game. And here we had a, an opportunity that had nothing to do with lawsuits. It had to do with communication, um, putting together the strongest team you possibly can. And given the fact that Brooks was picked for the American team and he's from Live shows that it can be done, and it, and it doesn't cause anybody to fly into hysterics, I think. So from that standpoint, that's what I was talking about, where I think Bryson did a really good job talking about it. It is totally okay for him to be disappointed that he's not on that team. There's nothing wrong with him sharing those emotions with us, and there's nothing wrong with him sharing that, you know what, at the very least, it would have been nice to get a call. I don't have any issue with that. Do you guys? Uh, speaking of Ryder Cup news, uh, Steve Stricker put out this photo when, when they hit the ground. And I, I think it, I do think it's kind of cool, right? Vice Captain Steve Stricker, the immediate past successful Ryder Cup captain. There was Zach Johnson. There they're carrying Sam Ryder's little trophy. It's actually quite small if you've ever seen it or held it in person bringing it back to the continent of Europe for the first time that a Ryder Cup will be contested right here in Italy. Uh, outside of Rome, Marco Simone is about 12 miles from the heart of the Eternal City. And as I told you, there's a lot of excitement here. I mean, I got picked up by a taxi driver last night. And he's here. You're here for the Ryder Cup. 
one of the big names for the European side, of course, is going to be that top name on their list, the top qualifier, Rory McIlroy. So this is courtesy of Ryder Cup Europe, but this was Rory asked to reflect on back when he was a kid. He was a young guy when he did this, and he called the Ryder Cup an exhibition. I think Rory today realizes it's so much more. Am I looking at you for this? <laughs> it's not that important an event for me. It's an exhibition at the end of the day. Obviously, I'll try my best for the team, but I'm not going to go running around fist pumping. <laughs> Who said that? I said that in my naivety as a young swashbuckling lad. Uh, yeah. I now have been a part of the Ryder Cup a lot, and what those three quotes are couldn't be further from the truth. Obviously, I had watched Ryder Cups on TV, I cheered for the European team, and I'd played team golf before, but it's just a completely different environment once you get in there seeing how much it means to everyone. Stunning performance. And finishes in style. That's what the Ryder Cup is all about. Oh, what a putt by Rory McIlroy. It is the purest competition in golf. To me, it, it doesn't get any better than that. You can't replicate that feeling of playing as part of a team and winning and feeling like you've contributed in some way and you've done it for other people, not just yourself. This is beautifully judged. It's going in. Oh, what a shot. What a shot from McElroy. I remember that afternoon in Chicago in 2012 and the, the emotions and the, the, like, when you finish your match and you're watching the others come in, like, that churn in your stomach of watching other guys trying to get it in. Seeing Martin Keimer hold that winning putt in Medina is like, I didn't do anything, but it was one of the best feelings in the world. Europe, wait to take the cup home! Hello! Oh my goodness gracious me! Only can you get those moments in Ryder Cups. I, you know, there's no other place that we can experience something like that. It's like nothing else in golf. Win, lose, or draw, the Ryder Cup weeks are always amazing, and you form bonds that hopefully will last a lifetime, and, you know, you get to know people on a different level, and that's, that's wonderful. Losing the Ryder Cup and having to wait two years to win it back is, at the start, the most disappointed you're ever going to feel. <sighs> um... Um, still makes me sort of emotional. <laughs> um, I just can't wait to get another shot at this. Um, it is. But I do not want to feel like that after a Ryder Cup ever again. I think the whole European Ryder Cup team is going to carry that disappointment of whistling straights into Rome, and, and we're going to be better because of it. As much as the stupid quotes that I said earlier in my career, like everyone should strive to be a part of the Ryder Cup. It's the best feeling in the world. Um, everyone hopefully will, will win individual titles and, and do great things in the game as an individual, but 
nothing beats the feeling as, as winning a, a Ryder Cup of, you know, as, as a part of that team. Really powerful stuff uh, from Rory McIlroy. Again, courtesy and credit there to uh, Ryder Cup Europe for supplying that to us. Thank you very much for that. Uh, it speaks to the emotions. Uh, it speaks to bigger issues because we've been touching on so many of them in this show, which is it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to learn. It's okay to mature. It's okay to change your mind. Uh, I think we need more of that in our world, one guy's opinion. We definitely need more of that in the world of golf. Um, And and I wanted to end today with, and I'm sure I'm going to use both of these pieces uh, as we progress through the course of this week and our coverage of this Ryder Cup, which we're coming to you live from Rome today. Um, This was, the credit here, this one's called Patrick Bet David Podcast. Tom Brady on the stage. And here you have arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, maybe the greatest quarterback of all time. And he was asked about having an edge and what makes you individually, if you view yourself at the best of what you do, what makes you different when you're on your field of competition? And how do you conduct yourself relative to those that you are competing against? He specifically brought up golf in his answer. There wasn't a lot of smiley faces with me out there. There wasn't a lot of smiley faces with Michael Jordan. There weren't a lot of smiley faces with Kobe Bryant. There weren't a lot of smiley faces with Tiger Woods, right? Tiger wasn't trying to be friends with anybody. Tiger had no friends. Tiger's friends were guys that he knew he could kick their butt. Those were Tiger's friends. <laughs> and they were very happy to have their butts kicked by Tiger Wood to be his friend. <laughs> so Tiger had them right where he wanted them. And I think for me, like, even when I watch sports today and I see, like, golf's a good example. I see these guys on the range. Yeah. Like, they're all buddies and their caddies are friends. And, and I'm like, that's not the killer instinct. That's just not. I don't, I don't know how you can want to crush the competition because they are your competition, but then to, like, have dinner with them the next night. Yep. Now, I had a few friends, like, because maybe it was a long period of time, but I could count on one hand the num- number of maybe Peyton Manning and I, and I love Peyton. Maybe I've had dinner with him twice in 23 years, and it's yeah. not because I don't love him. I really do. Twice in 20 years. Probably. three years. And, you know, our competition was always like, I looked up to him so much. I admired Peyton Manning. Like, I, I loved his game. I loved everything he did. But that guy, he, I, if, if we wanted to get where we wanted to go, we had to get through them. So I had to create something different in my mind. He couldn't be my friend. You know, when I see that with a lot of the guys that, you know, like Drew Brees. I love Drew. He was incredible. But he wasn't my friend. Now he's my friend because I'm not competing him against anymore. And I just think it's different now because of social media, the ability to connect with everybody. Everyone's friends now in sports all the time. And I'm like, I don't get that. All right. So that was uh, Tom Brady. Again, uh, credit to Patrick Bet David podcast for letting us use some of that. I just thought it was an interesting piece and that that you guys would enjoy that with the Roy piece and with the the Bryson 
a piece. And then the conversation we had about Lexi hearing from Team USA uh, and hearing from Team Europe after the draw in the Solheim Cup, a lot of ground to cover. Now, we've, we've gone past our regular broadcast window. And unfortunately, we're going to have to say goodbye for today because we have a lot to do to get ready for the Ryder Cup over the next couple of days here in Rome. And it is our anticipation and plan to be broadcasting live from the media center in the days that lie in store. Now, in terms of scheduling, we're going to be broadcasting from the media center on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, Thursday, just before the opening ceremonies. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I will be on course doing the live play-by-play, uh, as you guys are familiar with, with the Open or the Women's Open or the different broadcast entities uh, that we work for, the different events that we work for over here. Now, for those of you, because I've been getting some questions about it, for those of you in North America, you'll be able to, you've got a couple different options in hearing the radio broadcast. For the world radio broadcast, you will hear us before the Sirius XM team. And the Sirius XM team is a whole bunch of our buddies are coming over. Mark Carnivale, uh, John McGinnis. Uh, I did see Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz. I don't know Drew at all. Never met him. Uh, Colt I've only met one time. Um, not sure who else I'm forgetting. But anyway, they're going to be the – oh, uh, Taylor Zarzer's name I saw. They're going to be the Sirius XM team. Now, I believe that they're going to come on the air at 7 a.m. Eastern time. I'm not positive on this. You'll have to check this on your own with Sirius XM. But before that, because for Eastern time, for those of you in the Eastern time zone back in the USA, uh, our broadcast comes on the air around 6.30 a.m., which would be about 1.30 a.m. your time. And the live coverage will begin at 2 a.m. Eastern time or 7 a.m. Or no, it'd be 8 a.m. here, wouldn't it? We're six hours ahead of you. So it's maybe even an hour earlier what I'm giving you. Uh, bottom line is, is that it's, and it's difficult for me to, to adjust it to the time zones because I'm not sure when they're going to start carrying our coverage, honestly. I am sure that they're going to carry our coverage early. So you'll hear the world feed with the voices that you may be becoming familiar with on this side of the pond when we're broadcasting. Uh, Many of them uh, English accents, although we do have a gent joining us from Italy, a tour player uh, this year. So it's, there's a pretty good mix. Um, uh, Ramey Burns from Ireland will be part of the broadcast again. Very much looking forward to hanging with my friend. So I'm just telling you all this so that if you're looking for us, you can get us early on Sirius XM. The Sirius XM team takes over for the latter half of the day, which will still be early in, in the time zones for many of you that are watching us back in North America. Save for that, if you want to hear us in, in our entirety from stem to stern, get the Ryder Cup app. On the Ryder Cup app, you're going to hear our broadcast. That's the World Radio Feed broadcast. On RyderCup.com, you'll hear the World Radio Feed broadcast. So you'll be able to hear all of us if that is in your tent. And I believe uh, TuneIn Radio, if I'm not mistaken, I think has it as well. I'll have to confirm that when I get inside of the um, the media center that that is the case. Uh, so there's so you'll have a lot of different options and a lot of different ways that uh, you can get the radio coverage coming up, but we're going to be with you every step of the way until that time right here in the fairways of life show, a broadcasting live from Rome from 8 a.m. Eastern time, right through until the start of the live coverage. Thank you so much for your, your comments. Thank you so much for your company folks. Uh, Tremendously uh, appreciative and respect the fact that you guys are so passionately engaged. And until we are together again, live from Rome, we say be well and goodbye for now.